Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's Roxanne Derhodge with Authentic Living with Roxanne. So thanks for tuning in again today. I have a colleague that I met, um, should I say met or indirectly met when I saw him speak on stage in Ireland at the Global Speakers um, Federation last year. And we were able to get a time together for him to come on the podcast. So his name is Steve Judge. So Steve, thanks so much for coming on today to spend some time with us. It's a pleasure. It's really nice to be here uh, to meet you. Because uh, yes, we were at the same event venue, but we didn't actually meet face to face. But it's really nice to actually meet you now, face to face. We can have a nice chat. So I'm really looking forward to it, Roxanne. Well, obviously, I feel like I know you a bit more because I sat through your speech and, and was riveted by it. So, Steve, I uh, myself as a psychologist, um, I've kind of seen everything in reference to the iteration of of resilience. I've been frontline with the police as a first responder like when there's been traumatic things and see people react in different way, different ways to the same event. So your story is quite fascinating because of course you're a keynote speaker, you're a resilience coach. And of course you've actually had a life experience with you've had to, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the word rebuild, but maybe that's not the right term. Um, the space that you're in today. So I would like you to just, Start wherever you'd like in reference to um, how does one um, end up being a resilience coach and what kind of what was your beginning story that kind of created this path for you? So, okay, I never know where to start. So let's let's go with the how did I become a resilience coach? I think that mainly um, grew during the pandemic because the word resilience was used a lot. It was like a buzzword. Uh, you need resilience to to get through the pandemic and everything. And I thought, oh, I know about resilience. I've I I've used it, and I've you know I've used it, and I've pushed myself through it. And so people sort of saying, well, what is it then, Steve? And I was like, oh, hold on a minute, I'm not really too sure what it is. And so I had to get it out of my head and put it into some kind of context um, throughout my journey. How have I used resilience through my journey? And I I came up with this concept of the the wave of resilience, and it is kind of a wave of resilience riding the wave of resilience to become a winner and by taking yourself through the wave of resilience you actually end up higher than where you were before if you use it the right way if you go through the the uh if you think about the first of all you got the uh the shock and then the denial then the the anger the sharing the the rock bottom then the acceptance then the taking action and then the moving forward you do all of that correctly you can end up in a better place. So that's kind of like pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Sometimes you go through the wave of resilience or when something drastic happens to you. And that could be a divorce. It could be a redundancy. It could be a death in the family, or it could even be um, a life-changing experience uh, like a road traffic accident, which is what I had. So so where do I get all of this from? This is from my journey. And I, I did. I had a, a road traffic accident in 2002 
I was driving in the outskirts of the city that I, I live in and my car lost control. So there's water on the road. It skidded. Uh, I lost control and it bashed into a pole, bent the car in half and crushed both my legs. I was mercy dashed to the nearest hospital where they not only saved my legs, but they saved my life because I'd had I'd lost a lot of blood. Uh, it'd been a very traumatic incident and they really didn't know if I was going to come out of the operating theatre alive or dead. And, you know, that was that was bad for me, but it's probably equally bad or, or, or even worse to for my mum and my family to receive that message that night that they might not see their younger son, their younger brother ever again. Now, good news is I kept came out of it um I was alive but you know looking down the hospital bed I saw that both my legs were in a really bad way and the surgeon came over to me and said you know um we did our best we managed to save your legs but there's a good chance that you may never walk again wow you know when somebody says something like that to you it's very much a fight or a flight I find uh as in I could have just rolled over in bed and just given in um, but the opposite for me was very much, I felt very angry that somebody said that to me. Um, they're just, you know, that I was in a good place. I was in hospital. They just fixed my legs. And then they're telling me that I might not be able to use my legs. And it kind of like triggers like a red rag to a bull in a way. And when I, and, and I think that's what kicks off the resilience is first of all, you know, you, you have the, the shock, the, the thing that happens to you, and then you, you go straight into denial, as in, surely not, <laughs> this can't be happening. Um, and then straight after that, you have the anger, uh, when you realise it actually is happening, and I was going through that. Uh, but I used that anger to push myself forward. Um, you know, the, the sharing that I went through was through tears. It was through talking to my family, talking to the surgeons, the nurses. But I still had some really low periods as well throughout that. As you can imagine, you know, thinking, will I ever be the same again? Um, why is this happening to me? And those are really dark places, rock bottom, I would call it, as in you can't get much lower than that. But the thing is, is after that period of time, you come across acceptance. And that I did reach, I don't know, I don't know exactly when, maybe four weeks after the accident, when you accept this, when I accepted the situation that I was in, I was looking at my legs. They were in a bad way. I'd been told that I may not walk again, but I can see the positive in that, that I may walk again. And it's very much asking myself one question three times. And that is, what more can I do? What more can I do? What more can I do? Now, in that situation, the main thing you can do is, is survival. First of all, eat food, um, breathe, and, you know, get to get the, your body working again and then it's physio it's rehabilitation and you know I'm not going to go through the whole year and a half worth of uh, of physio that I did but I had to do a lot of things including I had a cage on my leg so I had to grow my leg back I had to stretch my leg out by four inches I then had to grow the bone back within that space uh, to grow bone back I did I had no idea how to do this Roxanne so I, I thought you just drank milk you know, for the calcium and ate lots of cheese. And the surgeons were very much like, no, Mr. Judge, you, you don't just drink milk and eat cheese. You've got to actually stand on your leg. You've got to walk on your leg. And I was like, yes, but there's no there's no bone in my leg. And they said, yeah, but you've got to trust the cage, the, the cage that's holding it all together. The more walking you do, the more your bone will grow. I was like, okay, if that's what you say so. And so this is me taking action now. 
And this is this is now lifting me up the other side of the wave of resilience. And the, the more action that I did, the more positive results that I saw, the more uh, endorphin, the dopamine was released. I felt good. I was doing it. Don't get me wrong. There were knockbacks. There were many knockbacks, uh, which took me back to rock bottom, back to being angry and sharing. But then I accepted the situation. Tell us about one of those knockbacks, because I picture you, I mean, clearly you get up, you're, you look down. You see yeah. these cages or whatever on your legs. Are they at the, and of course you're going to be like, first of all, where am I? Yeah. <laughs> and this could be happening. You go through that whole thing. Um, when you get like, so I think it would be normal, Steve, for most of us to be angry. Yes. And, and they're telling you all these things you're not understanding. And you start, something kicks in in you that says, Hmm. I can stay in the angry state or I can listen to what I'm going to say guys, but men or women are saying Yeah. and had knockbacks. So like what with the knock, give me an example of a knockback. And I, I love the term because in North America, we wouldn't say knocked out. We'd say knocked <laughs> out. <laughs> what, what was an example of a knockback that you can kind of remember that you went, oh, how did, how did I do it now in retrospect? I think you know, I think one of the, the the toughest times was a year after the accident. Um, and I think when you get to 12 months a year, you, it's an anniversary. You think, well, where, where am I now? And I wasn't in a good place. I was still in a wheelchair. I still had a cage on my leg and I was very frustrated that that wasn't off yet. And the thing is, because I'd stretched my leg out, all my tendons were really tight and I couldn't actually straighten my leg. Now, without a straight leg, you can't walk properly. You can't weight bear properly. Your hip will be out. Your back will be out. The, the consequences of having a non-straight leg are astronomical. And it's really important to get the straight leg. And this is what the physio was telling me. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I need a straight leg. So what do I need to do? They said, more physio. And I did more physio. I was very dedicated and committed. And after three months of you know, plotting graphs and doing the physio and, and pushing myself with tears in my eyes, Oh, it just it makes me shiver thinking of the amount of pain that I went through with that physio. The result was was that it didn't work, and I could not get my, my my leg straight. And they said there is a plan B, and I said, well, I don't really have a choice, do I? What's the plan B? And they said that is to have another cage on your leg, so you have one at the bottom and one at the top. We'll put a bar in between them, and then you use a spanner and you twist the nuts and bolts to slowly straighten your leg bit by bit. And I said, I, I guess I've got no choice. And I went in for the operation. I came out. I had now two cages on my leg. It was like scaffolding on my leg. I was screaming out in pain because they'd really pushed my leg as straight as possible before they secured it. They gave me loads of morphine and medication to, to stop the pain. And when I got home, I I was just in such a bad place because, again, it was a year anniversary of where I was and where I was, was was even further back I felt than where I was at the beginning of the accident. I now had two cages on my leg. I was still in a wheelchair. I'd lost all my independence. I was in so much pain during the day, during the night. And it was around that time, Roxanne, um, I, I got a letter through the post and it was from my employers. And they said, Mr. Judge, um, you've been unable to come back to work. It's now 12 months. I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to end your employment so that was a really you know in a being in a dark place 
you just think things can't get any worse. And now it got worse. I now had no job. I had no income. I had nothing coming in. And I felt, and I remember writing this in my diary, which I found later on. I wrote the words, I feel that I have no purpose. And I think that is like a significant part for me. And I didn't jump out and, and say, right, I'm going to sort this out. I'm going to accept the situation. I was in a really dark place. And I it was it was that time when I couldn't stop crying. And the kind of crying that when um, you, you, you hold it back and you breathe in, you think, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And it just erupts and you can't hold it back. And it's like a volcano that goes over and over again all throughout the day, throughout the night. And I, I counted for about three or four days just constantly. But eventually, on about the fourth day, I did accept that situation. And, and again, I, I'll go back to the anger. I was really angry at who I'd become because I saw myself in the mirror and I didn't like who I was. I was unshaven. I was unwashed. I wasn't doing any physio. I was just a waste of space. And I hated that. And because I hated that, I just didn't want to be that person. I don't know what I was going to do, but I didn't want to be that person. So the next day I shaved, the next day I had a wash, the next day I thought, what am I going to do for physio? And the next day I actually took some action, just bit by bit, little steps. And I slowly started, you know, twisting those nuts and bolts to get my legs straight, to get the cage eventually taken off after seven weeks. And yes, it did work. You know, the, the, the cage did work and I was able to get my leg straight because my leg was straight. I could put more weight in it because I could put more weight in it. The bone grew, which meant the second cage could now come off and now had no cages on my leg. It all made sense. And I knew that in the back of my head, I knew that that's what I had to do. But making myself do all of that was the hard bit, especially at the darkest point when I got that, that knot back. Uh, it was just such a horrible place to be in. Well, and, and clearly, not clearly, and I, I listened to this and I'm like, my goodness, the suppression of the anger that you talked about, like for like that reverberation for like four days. Mm. Um, and if you held on to it and didn't release it, would have impacted you in a completely different, it would have gone back into the body and, you know, yeah. God knows what it were, what it went. But luckily for you, um, you, you could release. Now the people around you, Steve, at that time, what were they saying? Like, I mean, everybody tries to keep it together. Like I said, when I, you know, when when things are tough, right? But mm. a, a year later, what were the people around you kind of reflecting back at you as they're seeing you going through these things? It's such a helpful thing, sometimes helpless thing, feeling sometimes. What did they do to support you? I think they supported me in the best way possible, as in, you know, it's okay, things will get better. Let's do what the surgeons say. Let's do what the doctors say. Let's do what the physio says. And I'm not saying I'm rebellious, but sometimes I, I'm always asking the question, why? So why can't I do this? Why do I have to do that? And so I, I've got an example here. So when I was doing physio, I'm kind of just going off the question a little bit. But yeah, when I was doing physio, um, I wanted, and I had a, just one cage on, I wanted to get on an exercise bike. And my physio said to me, you can't get on the exercise bike because you've got a cage on your leg. So every time you go round, it's going to clash with the metal frame. And I said, okay, fair enough. But then I thought, well, why can't I do that? Surely can I not design something or make something so that I can? So I took myself out to my garage. I made a big wooden pedal for the exercise bike. I came in. 
and I strapped it on with some Velcro straps. I climbed onto the bike and I started pedaling with this big wooden pedal that I'd made and I was able to do it. And so what it says to me is that I don't, I see there's lots of barriers and lots of obstacles. There always are in, in life and then especially as I was going through my experiences, but I see those as excuses and I don't lean on my excuses, but instead I turn those excuses into a challenge and not everybody does that. So if some people are told that they can't do something, they say, okay, I won't do it then. And I just, one of those people that would just says, well, why can't I do that? Just explain to me a bit more detail why I can't do that. And I'll make the decision whether I can or can't do that. Um, and I think so when people were supporting me and, and caring for me, they were probably following the rules. And that doesn't always work sometimes. Sometimes everybody's an individual and sometimes you know yourself better and how far you can push yourself and what you need to do. And yes, sometimes you do need to to cry and mope and just watch telly and do nothing and eat chocolate. And other times you need to stop doing that and you need to pick yourself up and you need to move yourself on because sometimes it's only you that can do that. If somebody else tells you to do so, for me, I rebel. If somebody tells me what to do, I'll Sounds I'll like opposition or defiant there, Steve. <laughs> yeah, it is. Do this and you do the opposite. <laughs> so they, they were probably tiptoeing around me, maybe. I don't know. And I'm not an angry person. I'm a very nice person. But in, in certain situations, when you get that fight or flight, maybe you become a different person um, because it's, it's, it's down to survival again, isn't it? And so I, they supported me, I think, in, in in how I needed to be supported at the time. So if I was moping, then they probably bought me a cup of tea. And when I was feeling you know, active, then maybe they said, well, I'll leave you to do your physio. Give me a shout when you're done. And I think that's the best way sometimes to support people is to let them do what they, what they need to do, uh, as long as it's not too bad. Um, and if they are moping for, for weeks and months, then maybe somebody does need to step in. But uh, otherwise, just let them ride it out. So I'm curious, like if you think of this mindset, right? It really is a mindset, um, you know, uh, in in the beginnings of your life or through to kind of, had you ever been challenged in any way before this where you could see kind of elements of that in your personality? Were you always the type that, like you said, you challenge or um, you would push yourself or, you know, or was this the first time that, um, through this adverse situation that you that you kind of I say sometimes you have to step up or get batted back mm-hmm. down and clearly this is something that I mean when I listen to this I'm like geez like pain um, mm-hmm. loss of uh, autonomy um, having to rely on others and then getting kind of whacked again a year after where someone's saying by the way just in case you're not feeling bad enough we're going <laughs> to take your livelihood away and can you can you handle that Steve that's a yeah. lot, right? But were there elements of that in your upbringing or just kind of along the way with what you were like? Or was this like the first time you were like, wow, I guess I'm I'm pretty tough here? Um, I think, I think when you have uh, something like this that happens to you, it's a catalyst, isn't it? It's, it's, it's when your body, sorry, for me, I need to speak for me, not for everybody else. For me, I think when something like that happened to me, Everything that had happened in my life before then was uh, exaggerated. It, it came into survival mode. It's like, and I to answer your question, the answer is no. I haven't been through anything like that before, but I have been through lots of little things. And those little things have helped me to get through the big things. 
Let, let me think back to when I was a kid. You know, I loved running. Running was my passion. Uh, I would run for, for freedom, for liberation. And yeah, as I grew up, I became competitive with that. Not to the point where I joined a running club, but competitive against myself. It was all about PBs, personal bests. I'd always write down what my time was and I'd like write a little note as in beat that Steve. So next time I would see that, it was, a, it was a laying down the gauntlet to myself. So I was always pushing myself. Uh, to run a little bit faster. The other thing I love doing was scouting. Still do scouting. I've been at, uh, at scouting tonight. I'm a scout leader now. Uh, but when I was a child, I went to scouts and I loved those badges, the badges that you get down your arm. Now, for me, those are still are uh, goals that you really, really want. And you you work your way towards those those badges. Mm -hmm. And you ask yourself, you know, what more can I do? What more can I do? What more can I do to get those badges? So that's the foundation of setting goals and working towards them. As a job, I used to work down the coal pit and uh, as, a, as a coal miner. So these are tough times. I took myself to college. I became a maintenance fitter. What that means is that I'm still working down the coal pit. And if a machine broke down, that was a problem. And I had to sort that out because if that machine was not sorted out, then there would be no production that day. So I had to come up with ideas. I had to be ingenious with the solutions I came up, I couldn't lean on excuses and I had to, you know, you know, step up to the mark in a way. So if you think about the the running, the passion that I had with that and pushing myself and the PBs um, and the scouting and the engineering, I think all of those have helped me to uh, deal with this massive thing that happened to me, plus many other things as well. My father, he, he got cancer Back in 1991, he fought it for seven years. Now, I saw him fighting it and I saw him never giving in. And I also saw him pass away seven years later. Um, but I learned so much from that, you know, about the, just the fact that he never gave in. And I wasn't prepared to give in on my situation as well. I wanted to make sure. And I think sometimes I could see a future self of myself um, looking back at me saying, don't don't you stop doing that physio, Steve. If you leave me with a dodgy leg or a dodgy ankle, I'm going to be furious with you. So you better pull your, your weight and do that physio now. That's my future self talking to me. And so that's what I had to do. And it's that it's that living with no regrets. It's mm -hmm. the seeing, you know, what's going to be in the future. And if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it. So let's crack on and let's do it. So let's say, you know, we all go through things, right, in companies. And I know you... Um, you know, do keynotes for companies or you, you you coach individuals. So let's say somebody's listening to you right now and they're like, hmm, you know, I'm in the throes of it and I'd like to like shut down, you know, put back my pajamas on, yep. call myself back in and because my, this isn't working for me and for people that are not seeing the video, I'm, I'm, I'm tapping my temples. <laughs> um, what are, what, what are some of the incremental things that you would suggest they start to think about? It's different for everybody in every situation. So let's let's be very generic on this. Um, if you're feeling like in a low place and you just need to have some time out, then have some time out. Just, mm -hmm. just give into it and just do what you need to do. But ask yourself, keep talking to yourself. There's nothing wrong with talking to yourself. Talk to yourself and, and ask yourself how long you're going to do this for. Are we going to be in this situation this rock bottom for a day two days three days maybe a week I don't know not not too long and just be aware that nobody else 
is sulking. Nobody else is in this bad place. Nobody else is in rock bottom. It's just you. And so the world is carrying on. So by all means, do that and recover and recuperate yourself and build yourself up, build your strength, maybe, uh, you know, and then at some point you've got to say, right, now we're going to take some action. And that's easier said than done. I get that. Um, how do you do that? How do you just flip the coin and just say, right, let, let, tomorrow I'm going to get up? I don't know. There's various things that you can do. The, the wave of resilience is great. So if you need to be angry, be angry. Go, go, get a punch bag, go gardening, do some sports, scream into a pillow, have a pillow fight. I don't know, just something to get that anger out of you. Sharing, share with somebody, talk to somebody, talk to a counsellor, talk to your friends, your family, write it down, write a journal, write poetry, uh, play the guitar, play the drums, uh, you know, do something to share what you're going through. The rock bottom we just talked about. And then what you can do after that is maybe, I find for me, uh, music. Music is really good. Uh, and if you can find so I've got my playlists. Uh, my they're all ready, um, and so when I when I'm in that low place, and I do get low low times, you know, people see me as I'm some kind of a superman that I'm always motivated and inspired. I'm not. They're, we all have low times. So in those low times, then I, I go to my my playlist, my music playlist, and I I press play. It's as simple as that. Just press play, and I think, well, this isn't going to work, but it does work because it's something that triggers inside you, and it might not be that. It might be watching your favorite uplifting film. Or it might be reading some poetry, or it might be just going for a walk and just getting some fresh air. Fresh air is great. You know the things that work for you, so you do those things, and that helps you start feeling better, seeing clearly. Once you can think clearly, because before then, you're all over the place. You, you're not thinking straight. So do what helps you to think straight, and then you can start taking action. You can start making a list. Just make a list. Right, so what what do we need to do? Um, I need to Google the answer. I need to YouTube the answer. I need to talk to somebody. Okay, I need to, you know, phone somebody. I need to ask for help. That's usually a big one, isn't it? Just ask for help. We'll go and ask that. Who, who's the best person? And, and then you have got different people. Of course you have. There's different people in your life that you ask for help for different things. So choose the right person for the right situation that you're in. And do you know what? Once you start doing that, you'll feel better because you get the dopamine release and you think, oh, I feel better. I'll do it again and more and more and more and that will lift you up. So there's lots of things you can do. And this is what I talk about as a, as a resilience coach and just like coaching people through that period of time. And it almost becomes fun. Obviously, you've got the low bit, but after that, you've got the fun bit. And then when you start achieving things and lifting yourself up, well, that's great. And you get to you know the serotonin kicks in. Oh, you can't deny that. That's awesome. Right. And then it's already flowing through your veins. And I, I often say to people, okay, set an alarm, right? When yeah. I would uh, coach them. Okay, so you're gonna be you're gonna be sad. Okay, well, how long, how long do you think? Well, 20 <laughs> minutes, half an hour? You know, set that alarm and make it. Make the music be something that you'd like to jump around to or something that just would spring you into some wanting to do something, right? Like you said, um, like music is the language of the soul. So it's interesting that you said, like you find those things. One thing that I would like you to speak a little bit more about, you talked about a bit about your family. What about your friends? Like what you said, you kind of know who you needed to go to um, at, for different reasons. Did you learn a lot about kind of your, your friendships or the people closest to you in reference to support? I often say, this is me, in my life, I have some people that I want, if I want to get like a two, two by four across the, the head, I know who to go to. If I want somebody to make me laugh, I will go to someone else. If I want someone just to listen so I can purge, I have somebody else. But they're oftentimes not one person. So with you, with your support system, 
what did you do and what did you learn about yourself in reference to the different types of supports? Because I'm thinking that first year, right? I mean, mm. my goodness, you that would have been a deep barrel. You had to, you had to go often, I would think, to to have other people support you. What yeah, was the biggest things you learned. I I think you know when I look back on it, I did have a support party with my uh, my fiance at the time, uh, my my mom, my brother, my sister, my friends, and I think I did use certain people for certain things. But I think the person that I used the most was probably myself, and I always find that really strange. But I can only you know be honest and and say what I did and I did start writing a diary I never had a diary before I started making notes in the hospital and that turned into a diary of how I felt and as I progressed it became more important because I needed to express what I was going through I also loved looking back a week or two weeks to see how bad I was and how much better I am now so I was kind of supporting myself um and a lot of the time I was on my own um, if my 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 wife then went to to work, I was home alone, just doing physio, and I was okay with that. You know, that was to me that was my task, that was my job, that was my commitment. And I think I, you know, I, I spoke to myself and and helped myself through that. So I did use lots of people, but I think the main person that I used was myself, and I, I think I've had that a lot. Um, I'm not saying I don't know if, if that's good or bad or it's just indifferent. It's understanding your mindset, right? And I think yeah. that's if I'm listening to this, and I, I'm curious because I want to know more. Like, obviously, I've done this kind of work, like I've said, since I was 21, and and um, have seen every iteration of possibility from very extreme, from you know when I was with the police, where I I would be attending to a murder suicide, um, all the way up to being kind of at boardroom tables with personalities of mm. people on the C-suite. So it's, we're all people, but ultimately to see how people cope. I, I, for me, that's that that always fascinates me. And especially when I'm meeting someone like you, Steve, that has been through something significant, I want to understand, like, what is it that I'm you are reinforcing that I already know, but also the combination of how you kind of um, create support for yourself, but like you said, internally, plus that external support. And we're also very different. You're right. There's no particular recipe yeah. other than we have to kind of, I would say we have to um, have that, um, you know, moment with ourselves when um, we're going through the tunnel, the dark, dark tunnel. And, yeah. and we know we have to go and we're scared out of our minds and you got to let go of everybody's um, hands and you got to go through that tunnel, ha having faith that there's going to be, light at the other end of that other tunnel at some point we have to do that on our own yeah. um people can't always be there with us for that mm. i think and i think it's, it's 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 something that i've carried on with as in supporting myself and relying on myself um when i you know to 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 go further on the story once i became once i stood again and walked again i got into disabled sport into power triathlon, swimming, cycling, and running. And as a as an elite athlete, the training, a lot of the training I did on my own. Um, I had a team around me, maybe at the European Championships, the World Championships, but every day it was me. It was it was me that set the alarm. It was me who made my sandwiches. It was me who got myself out of bed and got my kit ready. It was me that took myself down to the running track or to the swimming pool or out of my bike. It was me. 
And yeah, I might have you know reported to a coach maybe once a week or even once every two weeks. But most of the time, I was reporting to me. It was my goal that I wanted to become a British champion, European champion, and a world champion. And so I could rely on me. And I guess I compared to, you know, the physio that I was doing, that I used to do, how dedicated and committed I was with that. And I was just like transferred everything onto to being an elite athlete. And now even in my business, it's me. It's me at this this desk in, in my office. And yes, I've got loads of people. I, I talk about it. I talk about my golden gang. My golden gang helped me when I was in hospital. My golden gang helped me as an elite athlete. My golden gang helped me now in my business. I have a business coach, a website person, a finance person. I have a stylist. Uh, I have so many people, a mastermind group. But the main person that I rely on that helps me the most is me because I'm with me all the time. And I think that's really important that I acknowledge that. And I think it's really important that other people understand that you need everybody including yourself if you're just going to rely on other people and not yourself then you're not going to get very far and then also there's a temptation to blame other people as well well it's not my fault it's because they advised me wrong or they didn't support me or they didn't help me it's you it's you you know pull, pull yourself together and, and, and accept the responsibility the ownership and the accountability that you maybe you didn't ask for help maybe you didn't explain maybe you didn't know delve into the support structure enough maybe you didn't set up your golden gang and you're riding it too much on your own yeah, that's the balance thing there isn't it so i think yeah accepting that you are are so important to the whole philosophy and success and achieving i think is is how i've managed to get through what i've got through absolutely now I'm sure people are fascinated by the story and they want to learn more about you. And you're across the pond. So um, you're in London, right? Is that where you yeah. are? Well, yeah, just above London, a place called Sheffield. But yeah, not too Sheffield. far. Okay. Um, so you've written two books. So why don't you tell people a little bit about um, a bit about the books and a bit about your keynoting and, and your coaching and where they can get a hold of you uh, for sure. people who want you to attend events um, or uh, help with, their, with uh, some of their staff? Okay, so um, yes, I've got two books. My first book is my autobiography. As a keynote speaker, I speak for 45 minutes and people think they know my whole story. Maybe listen to this podcast, they they think they know it. They don't. So the, the autobiography has got everything in it. It's got 20 years worth in it. It's an amazing book, uh, the highs, the lows, uh, the nitty gritty stuff. The second book is very much to help people. Uh, the first book is called Don't Lean on Your Excuses. The second book is called Gold. Gold for me is an acronym for your goal, your opportunity, your love and your dream. It's more of a business book. And working your way through that will give you the five winning ways that will help you to unlock the power of your potential and achieve goals. And I love that because now I'm giving back. Now I'm actually helping people to achieve the things in their lives so they can live the life they want to live. That gives me a lot of pleasure. Um, and I do that as a keynote speaker, which you've mentioned already. So keynote speaker, yeah, award-winning, professional, global keynote speaker. And anybody who wants to, is interested in... Uh, in seeing my work or even even booking me for their events, I do have a website. It's www.steve-judge.co.uk. I'm all over social media as well. LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, um, or is it X now, uh, Instagram. So there's no excuses if people want to get in contact with me. And I really urge people to reach out. If they want to share something, if they want to ask me a question, please do. Uh, and I will always reply because that's what I do. That's why I do what I do because I, I love the interaction and I love helping people and I love sharing my journey. So yeah, either way is great. 
Well, that this has been an amazing story. And like you said, I, I heard you speak in uh, Ireland and now I, I, it's a snippet of what we've, I yeah. knew. And now I love, I love the story. So for everyone. So what am I walking away with? Um, adversity is quite the teacher. And I clearly what Steve has demonstrated yet again is that when we are in those dark moments, what is it that we really, really learn about ourselves? Those are the times that I think um, in, in my own life and clearly in Steve's life that you really have to formulate a lot of things about yourself that really there's sometimes the greatest teachers. So I would suggest that you start to think about those opportunities um, when things are not so good to think, what what is the opportunity here? What can I learn about me? So uh, for everyone listening, you know, um, I've released uh, my new book, Our Law, Return on Relationships. If you'd like a copy, um, you can go to my website. If you want to figure out how you get connected to yourself, either personally or professionally in resilience, you just go to roxanderhodge.com forward slash quiz. You'll get a really quick quiz. It tells you where you're at in reference to um, being your authentic self within those spaces. And we'll send you a little mini report with some next steps. So again, Steve, thanks so much for your time. Everyone, thanks for hanging out with Steve and I. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.